Hello everyone, today is March 16th, 2017. I'm your podcast host, client manager, John Niggle of InTouch Manufacturing Services. InTouch is an American-owned company headquartered in Shenzhen, China, that specializes in everything from quality control product inspections to factory audits, social compliance, and sourcing. The topic of today's podcast episode is how to address on-site product testing in a QC checklist. Very important episode. And joining me to talk about that is fellow client manager, George Huang. Welcome back, George. How's it going? How's it going, John? It's going well. So this is an episode based off of an earlier blog article that you wrote. And when we start to talk about on-site testing, it's important to understand why it's important to show that in a QC checklist. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what a QC checklist is real briefly, just to give people an idea of the context here. So a quality control checklist or a QC checklist in this case, it's a document that is used to give an idea of the exact processes that are being undertaken during an inspection. So it outlines a lot of the details that people who are not necessarily familiar with the process, they could just look over and understand exactly what is happening while the inspector is on site. So basically, it's a detailed document, a checklist that shows someone how to check your product or how to check the product that's being made at the factory to make sure that it meets requirements, specifications, there aren't an unreasonable number of defects or severe defects and non-conformances. Is that right? Right. Okay. So oftentimes, I guess the on-site testing is a really important part of a QC checklist. And we can see in the news recently some consequences of neglecting on-site testing, potentially with IKEA. And IKEA is a massive Swedish furniture retailer and they had some chests of drawers that were falling. Kids were playing with the drawers or leaning on them and the drawers fell on them and actually three children were killed by this type of accident related to their product. And it resulted in a voluntary recall of that product line and a $50 million settlement to uh, the victim's families. So product testing is valid here. It may have prevented those tragedies from happening. It may have prevented the damage done to IKEA as well. So let's get into how to address the on-site testing in a checklist, beginning with equipment needed for inspection. So a lot of tools, a lot of equipment maybe or may not be needed for particular tests. And the first point that you mentioned in the article is who should provide the equipment. And what do you mean by that? Right. So obviously when an inspection is taking place, one of the most vital parts of that inspection is on-site testing. And in order to perform a lot of these tests to a degree of accuracy that is acceptable by the parties, you're going to need the proper equipment. However, the inspectors or auditors that are on site won't always be carrying the exact equipment required to perform these tests. And when it comes down to should the inspection company be carrying this equipment or should the supplier be providing this equipment, it comes down to three main points. The first of which is applicability. So basically what this means is how niche is this testing equipment to this product? And so an example for this would be if you're importing textiles, most importers will need a GSM check to check the fabric density. And in order to check that, you will need equipment that effectively cuts the perfect amount of fabric. And this is not something that every inspector will have with them when performing inspections. And so when it comes to something like this, the factory should be providing this, not only based on the fact that the inspector should not be expected to carry it, but it's also a test that the factory should be carrying out by themselves. So basically, if it's a test for a product and the factory makes a lot of those types of products, they're likely to have that equipment on hand at the factory oftentimes. Is that right? Right. And if it's something that is pretty specific or niche, as you put it, and doesn't necessarily apply to a lot of different product types, it's less likely that the inspector or the importer Whoever is inspecting the product is likely to have that on hand. That's correct. Okay. The second point, just as important, portability. 
because inspectors or you know individuals who are performing these inspections are traveling around a lot they're not carrying big suitcases of testing equipment with them to every single inspection they go right. so when it comes to portability it's one of the most vital factors and if it should be expected for an inspector to have so for example just to throw it out there if the inspector is testing cookware and one of the tests is an oven temperature test so if the goods are expected to handle heated to a certain temperature there's no way that uh, it should be expected that the inspector somehow carries a an oven an oven with them right to the inspection Okay, so if it's something lightweight, something that can maybe fit in a small bag or a backpack, something that an inspector could reasonably carry to the factory, because as you said, they have to travel to a lot of factories oftentimes. They're not based permanently within one factory typically. As long as it's something that can be easily carried that way, then that's one criteria for the inspector bringing the equipment, right? Right. Okay. And the last point is cost. So if a certain testing equipment is required and if it's widely applicable to a lot of testing and it's also very portable but it has a very high cost then it's to be expected that the supplier who produces similar products should have this kind of equipment on site to carry in their own in-house testing and the inspector who's coming into the factory should be able to use or borrow the equipment based on the factory's agreement. Right. I've seen that from my experience too and sometimes if something is applicable and portable but expensive oftentimes if the importer is hiring outside inspection help they might provide the equipment themselves and then you know just pay for it reimburse the QC company or what have you and that inspector will buy it and take it with them to the inspection site but yeah definitely if it's expensive equipment the factory is more likely to have it there and it's reasonable to just borrow it during the inspection and return it when finished so along the same lines, in terms of the equipment, how do we ensure that the right equipment is available at the factory? How does the importer make sure that if the factory is expected to have it, that they actually know they should have it at the factory? Right. So after talking about these three points of applicability, portability, and cost, it should give you a good idea of what inspectors usually carry on them. But this is usually different from company to company. And so in order to confirm these details of what the inspector should be expected to bring versus what the supplier is expected to provide, we always recommend that the importer should confirm with the supplier and his inspection company exactly what equipment's needed and who should be providing it. Because if these details are not confirmed beforehand, you always have the case of uh, inspectors arriving on site and certain crucial tests can be conducted because there was a miscommunication about who should be providing which equipment. Right. And to bring this back to the context of QC checklists, this is a point they definitely want to list in the checklist as well, right? I mean, there's this document that they hopefully are, you know, updating regularly with changes that the inspection company has on hand, the supplier has on hand, and they should be able to see, okay, this is the equipment that's needed and this is who's going to provide it. Is that right? Right. So the second main point here is addressing sample size for on-site testing. And I guess maybe you can tell us a little bit about sample size and the distinction for testing as opposed to what most people think of, which is more the general inspection sampling. We talk about sample size a lot here on these podcasts. And usually when we're referring to the sample size, we're referring to the general inspection sample size, which is basically how many units are to be inspected visually and checked on a level that's agreed upon by the importer, the supplier, and the inspection company. However, the sample size for on-site testing is usually independent of the sample size for the general inspection. On the AQL charts, there's a different section specifically for on-site testing. 
special inspection levels. Right, yeah. correct. And those inspection levels are what dictates how many units or pieces are tested for your inspection. So it's generally, the special inspection samples are much smaller typically than the general inspection levels because those are reserved for certain tests. Maybe they're destructive tests, right? Where you don't want to be testing it on 100 pieces in, a, in an order or a lot size of only 500, for example, because you destroy 100 pieces or whatever. You might just do it on two or three. And often the onsite tests, they're time intensive. They take more time to carry out these tests than the visual inspection checks and other things that are performed on the whole general sample. Is that right? Right. Okay. So I guess it's good to talk about excessive sampling and what are the consequences of pulling too many samples? What are the consequences of pulling too few samples specifically for on-site testing? How does the importer see the consequences of those mistakes? Right. Like you said, because on-site testing is very different from general testing, it usually requires more time, requires more resources. And that in turn, if as an importer, you're employing the help of a inspection company, the more time you spend on site, that means more cost. Right. So when it comes to on-site testing, when the sample size is too big, when it's unnecessarily too big, obviously you run into cost issues. And so circumstances in which the sample size may be too big is, like you said, when uh, the testing is very time intensive. So going back to the oven temperature testing, you only have so much limited space in an oven. And obviously a factory is not going to have a large number of ovens on site to be performing these kind of tests. Right. And so if you have to do, let's say more than two rounds, I mean, that's a lot of time that you're spending and that is gonna really drive up your costs. Another key variable in determining if the sample size is too big is, you know, if the product you're testing, let's say you're performing a fit test for furniture. Because most of these furniture are cut up by molds done by machines, you really do not need to test more than a couple units to tell if the rest of the PO is going to be functioning properly. Right. They literally come from the same mold. Right. So, yeah. Another example that I can think of too is, you know, I mentioned destructive testing, but continuing with that, I remember a client that was importing textiles from Asia and each time we would go to inspect the textiles, we would have to do composition testing, which mostly we rely on the factory to carry that out because they have the equipment there and they actually have to burn the fabric to check, you know, what percentage of it is cotton versus polyester versus whatever. You don't want to spend a lot of time at the factory doing that to get the same result because if a fabric comes from the same lot, you can be confident generally that the consistency is there throughout that quantity. It's not necessary to check, you know, multiple pieces on a roll or 10 rolls in a lot generally. How about the uh, inadequate sampling? We've seen that excessive sampling can be redundant. It can raise costs. How about maybe pulling too few samples? How does that affect things? Right. So this is really a, it's a fine line. You have to walk between over-testing and under-testing. Mm. And because, for example, the new story of the IKEA drawers, right? We can't say for sure if they tested it or not. Maybe they under-tested. And, you know, that's one of the potential consequences of if on-site testing is not done to a thorough degree. If an importer is having trouble deciding what is an adequate sample to pull for testing, often they have QC staff within their company they can consult. There's often some industry standards that they can refer to for products like furniture, as you said, consumer electronics. Or they can, if they're working with a third-party QC company and that QC company has experience with that product, oftentimes they can suggest some sample sizes that they've used in their own experience that are effective. But it's good to include this stuff in the QC checklist as well, right? Right. Okay, so the third main point here is product testing requirements. And this may seem like a no-brainer, but it can get to be sort of questionable. 
Why is it important to specify product testing requirements in a QC checklist rather than maybe communicating through email alone or agreeing on something beforehand or even just assuming that the inspection company or the supplier knows your testing requirements? It's very simple, really, because as an importer, obviously you understand your product very well. You know exactly what you want it to do and you understand what standards it should be held to. But if you're hiring third-party help, those standards that you understand very clearly may not be very clear to them. And so regardless if it's something that you think it's very straightforward or simple, or if it's something that you may think it's a little bit more complex and needs more details, it's very important to spell out in detail exactly what your standards are for these products. Because like we said, while some testing may be very straightforward, like if you're selling nonstick pots, but when there's a testing and somebody throws an egg on the hot pot and it sticks to the pot, then obviously using common sense, that's going to be a fail. For the egg For test. the egg stick test, yeah. Right. But in the article, we mentioned that if you're selling furniture, a uh, bookshelf, and you don't specify exactly how heavy of a load it's supposed to hold, then your inspection company may use uh, industry standards. But those industry standards may not be what your sales team is putting on the box. Right. And so, you know, if the industry standards of a bookshelf is 15 kilograms, but your sales team is telling people that, oh, our bookshelf can hold 20, then that's a huge red flag that could cause a huge potential issue down the road. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's like there's different types of products. And then within that product type, there's products that might be used for different applications. There's different levels of quality expected in those products. You know, if you're selling, you know, knives, the question becomes, okay, you need to test the blade strength, maybe. And you need to know to do that, what is the material of the knife? Is it ceramic? Is it stainless steel? Is it a pocket knife? Is it a kitchen knife? And then within the quality standards, it might be, you know, a high-end knife. It might be something that sells with a low price tag on it that you're maybe less concerned about the strength of the blade. But yeah, the products themselves can be very unique in terms of the testing. It's not always easy to just apply an industry standard across the board. Often the importer, like you said, knows their customers better than anyone and they know their expectations for quality and what types of testing standards should be applied. If they're not familiar with testing standards, they can oftentimes consult a QC professional who has experience with that product category and get feedback from them. But it is important that they specify this on the QC checklist, right? Because that inspection company or that supplier may have other plans or may have other standards they would otherwise use, right? Right. Okay, so to wrap this up briefly, I guess to conclude this episode, on-site testing, as you mentioned in the article, it's a crucial part of most product inspections, and it's essential to clarify testing in a QC checklist, and that covers everything from the equipment needed, who's expected to bring the equipment, what sample size should be used for on-site testing, what procedures or tolerances should be used for on-site testing, how should we apply a standard for pass or fail for these tests. And all this stuff should go in the QC checklist because it's the best way to clarify that before the inspection begins and not run into an issue where testing was you know, not carried out the correct way or the equipment wasn't available and the inspector couldn't do the testing at all. If that happens, they may have to go back to the factory and re-inspect. If they're on a tight shipping deadline, that could delay shipping even further to have to repeat inspection. They might have to take a risk. In some cases, they might have to ship the goods without being informed by having some testing results that are reliable. So really important to include in a checklist. Would you add anything to that conclusion? Yeah, I think overall, a QC checklist is one of the most important 
documents used in inspections. It's not only used by the inspectors themselves while they're on site to perform the inspections, but it also gives the supplier and importer an idea of the standards that the goods are to be tested to. And that, you know, having a clear and concise checklist is really important because the more information you have on the checklist, the less potential you have of running into confusion down the road. I couldn't agree more. Okay, well, with that, I'm going to thank my guest, George Huang, for joining me to talk about addressing on-site testing in a QC checklist. So thank you, George. No problem. And I want to thank our listeners out there for tuning in to today's episode and remind you guys to check us out on our social media channels. Namely, that's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. We have some daily tips and advice as well as industry news there. You can check out our podcast or subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can also check out our SlideShare channel for some industry-related PowerPoints there and some nice information as well. And finally, if you'd like to get in contact with us directly, you can drop us a line at our company website that is www.intouchquality.com. Thank you.